couple weeks ago, I asked you this question. Uh, when God thinks about me, he feels, and then you felt filled in the blank. Remember that? How many were here a couple weeks ago we did that? Okay, so you turned, you turned in a piece of paper. Almost 3,000 pieces of paper uh, got turned in, um, which you know, Trina didn't know she had to key all those things in. Uh, and so, actually, I helped her. It was, it was pretty fascinating doing that. And what we did is compiled all that data, put it into a program. It's called, uh, some of you know, it's called Wordle.net. And Wordle, what it does is it takes the most frequent words, and then the, the, the more times that word shows up, the larger the font is, is presented in a graphic illustration. The smaller the word, the fewer times it, 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 uh, it showed up. And so here's how you answered uh, that question. When God thinks about me, he feels blank. You filled in the blank. Largest response was love. Uh, and then you got words similar to that, like joy and proud and happy, uh, compassion. I uh, got some delight there, pleased. Uh, that, that, that's great. Uh, the second largest word that was, that was written in there was disappointed. And um, I just want to say, I want to thank you for your honesty in writing that, that word down there. Many of you did that. And, um, and also want you to know that I, I think all of us can relate to that. We've all had a moment or moments when we're walking in our journey with Christ where we just, we feel like we're a disappointment to God. Uh, perhaps it's getting caught up in uh, habitual patterns of sin. Or, or maybe it's thinking about a past failure that continues to haunt us. And it just sort of is, is it, we, we sense that, you know, God's love is for a lot of people, but I've sort of disqualified myself. And uh, I just, I just want to say to you, if you wrote disappointment down, or if in a week from now you think you're a disappointment to God, and you, you wrote love a couple weeks ago, can I just say to you these words from Romans chapter 8? There is therefore now no condemnation for anyone who is in Christ Jesus. Condemnation is, does not exist for anyone who is in Christ. We often feel like we should be doing better, but what we need to understand, because remember, this question was rooted in having the right picture of who God is, and when we have the right picture of who He is, then we can truly understand Him. And we, we, it's difficult for us to have the right picture of who he is when we're dealing with our own disappointments in ourselves. So thank you for the honesty in, in, in saying that. I, I just want you to know that we've all been there. And what I, what I want us to understand is that even when we have our sense of our disappointment to God, that he's, he truly does delight in us. We're a son. We're a daughter. In fact, Paul would even go on a little bit later in Romans 8, and he'll say that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Not angels or demons. Not even our mess-ups. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. So uh, as we're going through this gospel of Mark, and we're talking about living it, if we're going to understand who he is, one of the primary things we need to understand is his love and his delight in us. For some of us, that's easy. For others, it's difficult. And all of us need to continue to root ourselves, stabilize ourselves in the love that he has for us, the light he has for us. So again, thanks for your honesty and, and your just forthrightness in writing things. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm glad to be able to share that with you. Now, if you grab your Bibles, turn to, to Mark chapter 4, because that's where we're going today. We're going to be looking at some parables. Um, in the Fowler household, we sort of have a favorite snack. Uh, you, we, we buy 
Uh, one of those, it's, it's almost embarrassing, one of those giant tubs of red licorice from Costco. Anyone else ever done that? Uh, those, those tubs of red, red licorice. We put it on a counter in one of our rooms uh, where the kids love to play, uh, where adults like to hang out. And uh, I think my granddaughter, Finn, likes the sound of the tape being taken off the perimeter of that tub. Her eyes light up, and she can't wait to sink her teeth into a soft piece of red licorice. She loves it. We all love it. And, but occasionally, a tragedy takes place in the Fowler household as it relates to red licorice. Uh, and it's not, it's not that it gets eaten too quickly, because that's completely understandable in our house. What the tragedy is, is that when you walk back in that room and you look to the counter where the red licorice is, you discover that the lid has been left off. Yeah, so you know, you know how painful this is, right? Because when the red licorice is exposed to the open air, it goes from soft and tender and, and just so easy to, to eat to this tough, grisly kind of texture of a piece of round steak. It's been, you know, been, it's just, it just doesn't taste very good. It's tough. It's like eating a tree branch. It, it, no, longer, it no longer tastes great. It's, it's hard. It's, it's grisly. It's calloused. Now, I want to talk to you today about a simple discipline that you and I can engage in that is that perilous or the lid on the licorice. Something that when you engage, as we talk about our hearts, because that's what Mark chapter 4 is getting to. It's talking about our hearts and keeping our hearts soft. There is a simple discipline that you and I can engage in that will not only keep our hearts tender, will not only keep our hearts soft, it will actually take a heart that is maybe perhaps even described as numb, take a heart that is also described as tough and hardened, and it has the potential. This simple discipline that every one of us can do can take something that's tough and actually make it soft again. And what I'm talking about is the discipline of listening to God, the act of listening to God. In fact, Susan, last week when she wrapped up Mark chapter 3, she uh, came to the story of Jesus uh, being in this house with a bunch of people. It's packed full of people. And uh, remember, Jesus' family shows up, and they're, they're there to take him out, to extract him, because they think he's lost his mind. He's losing it. And uh, Jesus says something unusual. He says, who are my mother? Who are my brothers and my sisters? I'll tell you who my mother and my brothers and sisters are. They are the ones who do the will of God. They are my true mother and brother and sisters. These people who are doing the will of God have, have experienced an elevation in relational status with Jesus because they have done the will of God. But the interesting thing is, when you read the text, it doesn't look like they're doing anything. They're just sitting in a house, packed in like sardines, and they're listening to Jesus teach. And they are doing the will of God. And what Jesus is saying, because you are listening to me, I am going to give you an elevation in relational status just for taking the time to be with me. God is looking for listeners. He's looking for listeners. And as we get into the parables, what we are going to see is that Jesus is through the telling of parables, he, he's going to create this sort of this, this separation effect of those whose hearts are soft, those who are listening, and those whose hearts are hardened and already have all the answers. 
By the telling of the parable, this, this dividing, so to speak, will take place. Now, let me just talk to you briefly about parables because I think that oftentimes we misunderstand the purpose of them. I remember for a long time, I thought parables were sort of Jesus' way of writing, you know, the kingdom of God for dummies. Like, here, I'm going to take complex spiritual realities, I'm going to take deep theological truths, and I'm going to present them in ways that everyone can understand. I'm going to put them in, in, in a cultural context so that, that even the dimmest light bulb can understand what I'm saying. That's not really what Jesus is doing with the parables, though, because if you do think that, if you think that the parables are, are Jesus' way of taking something complex and making it simple, if that's what he was doing, then his first parable was a complete failure because no one understood it. And even his disciples came to him and said, hey, uh, that was a great story. I didn't quite understand about the whole seed and soil thing. Can you explain it? Parables are not Jesus' way of taking something that's deep spiritually and putting the cookies on the bottom shelf, so to speak. That's not what the parables are all about. What's happening with the parables is that Jesus is is in veiled form giving people truth to discover who is listening and curious and wants to know more and who already has the answers and is not interested. In fact, you'll see that if you got your Bibles, Mark uh, 4, uh, verse 11, uh, the disciples, the the parable of the sower has been told. Uh, The disciples ask a question, and Jesus replies. He says, you are permitted to understand the secret of the kingdom of God. But I use parables for everything I say to outsiders so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they see what I do, they will learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they will not understand Otherwise, they will turn to me and be forgiven. Huh? That sounds like that there are outsiders and insiders. It sounds like Jesus is saying, I got people that I want close to me, and I got people I don't want close to me. And that's why he's telling parables. Actually, what Jesus is doing here, he's quoting the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6, in fact, we use some of those same scriptures in worship today. Isaiah is called up into into the throne room, and the Godhead is having a conversation about, man, who who should we send? And Isaiah is there, he raises his hand and says, here am I, send me. And God said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding. Be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. What is going on here? Make the heart of this people calloused, Isaiah. How is Isaiah going to make the people's hearts calloused? How is he going to make their ears dull? By preaching. And that's why I do this every weekend. I heard an amen. Oh, Lord, help the boy. So here, here, what he's saying here in the Hebrew syntax, the original language, what he's saying here is, Isaiah, I'm going to send you. You're going to preach. No one's going to listen. In fact, they're going to hear you, and the effect, because they're not listeners, the effect is their hearts will become hard. 
Jesus is quoting this passage, and he's saying, I'm going to tell parables. Disciples, you're on the inside. You're asking questions. You're curious. You want to know. And I'm going to tell parables, and there's going to be a sifting and sorting thing that takes place. And the person whose heart is soft, the person whose heart is softening, who is curious about spiritual things, is going to be inquisitive, curious, and ask questions, and I'm going to give them more understanding. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus says. You'll find it in verse 24. We'll throw it up here on the screen, what Jesus says. Then he added, pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given, and you will receive even more. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? I'm going to give truth in veiled form in a parable. And for the one who's listening who's inquisitive and curious to spiritual things, I'm going to give more. But those who are not, those who already have the answers, like the Pharisees, it's like the lid's been left off the licorice, tough, hardened hearts. Even what little understanding they have will be taken from them. That's the purpose of the parables. Uh, My friend Sundar Christian, some of you have met him before he was here at Salem Alliance, uh, defines a parable this way. Sinder says, a parable is a metaphor or simile drawn from nature or common life, arresting the hearer by its vividness or strangeness and leaving the mind in sufficient doubt about its precise application to tease it into active thought. The purpose of the parable was not so much to answer questions as to raise more questions in people's lives. That's what's going on with the parable. Who is listening? And as Jesus tells the parable, he discovers whose hearts are soft. Not long ago, I was on a flight back to Salem. Uh, it was about a month ago. I was flying back from, to Salem from New York. I flew from this leg of uh, this one flight, New York to Denver. Um, I'm in the last boarding group, which means you don't get any place close to your seat to put your carry-on. I board, and quickly after I board, the, the, the plane is being pushed away from the gateway. As the plane is being pushed away from the gateway, those of you who, who fly or you fly frequently enough, you, you know this, um, the, the flight attendants then kick into the whole safety instruction. As the flight attendant is doing the safety instruction, I'm looking around. And guess what? Nobody is listening. The flight attendant is saying, In the case of a tragedy where our plane is going to crash, here's some things you might need to know. And no one's listening because either they've heard it all before or like, that planes don't crash, at least the ones I fly in don't crash. (laughs) But I'm sitting in my seat and a flight attendant is is kicking into full gear in the safety instruction. I mean, she's got the seatbelt thing and showing us how to work that and what happens when the mask falls and... Um, and I have my card in my hand, and I decide I'm just going to lean in here, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pay really close attention, and I'm, I'm going to see what her reaction is. So she's, she's going through the whole thing. Oh, yeah, it's right here. Oh, yeah, yeah, really good. <laughs> she does the whole seatbelt thing. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> it works. 
and you know, I can, as she's going through the safety instruction, she, I can see that she sees me, and it's kind of like this looking like, man, this, what is going on over here? <laughs> then, she, you know, she says, you know, you know, the emergency exit, there's six of them on this plane, and some might be in front of you, some might be behind you. Take note of which one is closest to you, and uh, so she gets done, and she's walking down the row, kind of head toward the back of the plane, and she's passing by me, and I start raising my hand. She stops, and, she, I, and I said, uh, ma'am, I, I'm looking at this picture here of our plane, and um, I'm just curious, is the closest exit behind me or in front of me? And she has that momentary look, that glance in her eye, like, really? <laughs> and she said, well, well, sir, actually, the, the closest exit is about, about six rows behind you. And I said, oh, thank you so much. And by the way, I, I just thought you did such a great job with the whole safety instruction thing, and... Um, <laughs> It was really clear. Um, and, and she looks at me and she says, Sir, I have done this for 21 years. Nobody has asked me a question or given me a compliment on my safety instruction. Now, get this. You know those snacks you pay like 7 or $8 for in the cart? Come on. I got one for free. You know those little cups, they fill all the way to the top with ice, so you get like one-sixteenth of a Diet Coke or a Coke, whatever you're drinking? I got the cup with all the ice and a full can. <laughs> all because I just paid attention and acted interested. Now, here's the deal. How many times do we come to church and church becomes like listening to someone read off the safety instructions. We've heard all this before. We know. Or you sit down in your, your chair at home, you crack open your Bible, and you read that story again. And you've heard it before. And, and, and you, you know it all. And it's almost like your mind just goes numb and you turn it off. But here is the deal. These words we are reading, they're not ink on pages. It's a voice that's been captured, recorded for us. And God is speaking. The question is, are we listening? Because the one who listens to more, the measure you use, more will be given. That's one translation puts it. The more you listen, the softer your heart gets. It's like lid on the licorice. God is looking for listeners. So he's telling parables. Jesus is telling parables. And the temptation for us is to look at these parables and go, yeah, I've heard all these parables before. But I want to set them in the context. Real quick, I want to run through these four parables so you can see what Jesus is saying. And get this, the only people who will know what Jesus is saying are the ones who will ask questions. Everyone else goes, great story. Don't really know what it means. Parable of the sower. Listen, it begins. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and and choked out the tender plants so they produced no grain. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Then he said, anyone with ears to hear 
should listen and understand. So, so many times the focus of this parable is shifted from where it is intended to be. Intended to be. How many have heard sermons about the four soils, about the unbeliever or the, the, the unfruitful believer or the fruitful believer or the backsliding believer? Our focus is on the soil. That's not the focus of the parable. The farmer, the sower is throwing seed out on his field. And by the way, they farm differently than we do. We first plow the ground, and then we put the seed in it. Not so with this sower. This sower. The seed is being tossed, and once the seed is scattered everywhere, then it's plowed into the ground. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I am the sower. I am spreading the seed of the gospel. It will come in contact with all different kinds of people as it's plowed into the ground. But the reality is that even as it strikes hard ground or rocky soil, that there is a guaranteed harvest coming, 30, 60, 100 fold. The reality of the parable of the sower is that Jesus is the sower casting seed and there is a guaranteed harvest. Disciples, I know right now that the authority of the day, the Pharisees, are rejecting the message. I completely understand that that you're wondering, should I stick it out with this thing? Because my family, even my own family, has thought I'm a lunatic. But let me tell you something. This seed's going to come in contact with all kinds of people. There is a guaranteed harvest coming. The parable of the sowers put the definition up here. Here's what Jesus is saying. In the person of Jesus, God has broken in upon humanity, and a huge harvest is guaranteed. You know when the disciples ask their question, and and Jesus then, he says, look, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand the other parables? I always read that as, you guys are like, not really smart, and man, if you don't get this one, this one's simple. If you don't get the simple one, you're not going to understand any of the ones that are coming. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying it's very important you get this one because in light of this one, the other ones will make sense. That's what Jesus is saying, which then leads us to the parable of the lamp. You'll see that in verse 21. Then Jesus asked them, would anyone light a lamp and then put it under a basket or under a bed? Of course not. A lamp is, is placed on a stand where its light will shine. For everything that is hidden will eventually be brought into the open, and every secret will be brought to light. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Many times this parable is translated into being about evangelism. It's not about evangelism. What Jesus is saying, who walks into a room with a lamp and then puts a basket over it or puts it under a bed? No, that's not what you do. But one day, the lamp will be put on the stand and it will give light to every, every secret will be exposed. Nothing will be hidden. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, who I am is being hidden from people, but there is a day coming when there will be a full understanding, a full manifestation of who I am. The lamp is Jesus. The sower is, the parables are about Jesus. He's the sower. He's the lamp. Here's the meaning of the parable of the lamp. This present period of hiddenness is only a precursor to a period of manifestation of Christ's glory everywhere, which then leads us to the third parable, the parable of the growing seed. The kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, but he does not understand how it happens. 
The earth produces the crops on its own. First, a leaf blade pushes through. Then the heads of wheat are formed. And finally, the grain ripens. And as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle, for the harvest time has come. There it is again, harvest. What Jesus is saying here, the farmers sow the seed, and as the seed is sown, something mysterious takes place. The seed germinates. And what he's saying is that the gospel seed is being proclaimed. It's going to hit soil, and something mysterious is going to happen. People are going to be quickened, and they're going to be quickened in the Spirit and come to life in Christ. And it will it'll be surprising to you. Surprising, like just last, last week, uh, some friends of mine, Mike and Robin, had three neighbors over for dinner. Three couples. They're over for dinner, and none of them are Christ followers. They're having dinner, going to have some uh, fun night playing games. Uh, and Mike prays for dinner. He prays for dinner, then they have a great night. Couples all go home. Two nights later, one of those couples comes back for dinner. And now Robin, as they're sitting around the dinner table, Robin prays for dinner. And then they have a great night together. The next day, Robin and this woman go out shopping together. They're in a department store. And the woman says to Robin, Robin, I want you to know that I'm a Christian, a baby Christian. And Robin says, wow, that's fantastic. When did you start your journey with Christ? Last night. (laughs) When you prayed at dinner, something happened in me. You, You getting this? This woman came to Christ because someone prayed for their food. And on top of that, what we've since learned is that this woman's parents have been praying for her for 27 years. Makes you want to pray for your lunch today, doesn't it? (laughs) How does that happen? It's mysterious. It just happens. The seed's been sown, and and one day it germinates and springs to life. That's the the parable of the growing seed. The the definition is when Jesus is proclaimed, a mysterious gospel germination takes place in the human heart that accomplishes the purposes of the Father, which then leads us to the last parable, the parable of the mustard seed. Jesus said, how can I describe the kingdom of God? What story should I use to illustrate it? It's like a mustard seed planted in the ground. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but it becomes the largest of all garden plants. It grows long branches, and birds can make nests in its shade. Here's what Jesus is saying here. Something very small, the smallest of all the seeds when planted in the ground, as it was in Galilee, would produce a bush that's somewhere between 10 and 12 feet high. And even the birds will, will rest in its branches, which, by the way, was an Old Testament euphemism for the Gentiles. What Jesus is saying is right now, guys, this is small. We're a small band of people from a small backwater village in a small country compared to the powerhouse of Rome. But there is a day coming when the smallest of seeds will germinate mysteriously and it will produce a huge thing. What is small will one day become huge. In fact, so huge that it will expand beyond the borders of Israel and even include the Gentiles. Which, by the way, that's where Jesus is going next in Matthew chapter, I mean Mark chapter 4. He's going to Jordan, to the Gentiles. You put all these together, what looks small now will one day be huge, and that's the, the parable of the mustard seed. You put them all together, this is what Jesus is saying to the person who's interested, who's listening. 
all four parables are saying in the person of Jesus, God has broken in upon humanity and a huge harvest is guaranteed. This present period of hiddenness is only a precursor to a period of manifestation of Christ's glory everywhere. When Jesus is proclaimed, a mysterious gospel germination takes place in the human heart that accomplishes the purposes of the Father. What looks small now will one day be huge. And anyone who didn't ask a question got four cute stories and missed out on something significant Jesus was saying. How encouraging would that have been to the disciples who were there starting out and things are going tough? That when Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father and they're going to the ends of the earth to know that the harvest is guaranteed and there is a mysterious way that people will come to Christ. And what is small will one day be huge. And isn't it huge? Friends, Jesus told parables in his day. He's not done talking. He's still speaking. The question is, are we listening? Because he has things to say to you. He has words of comfort, exhortation. Words that will put strength in your heart. If you'll ask. Let me just give you just a few practical steps that you can put into place here. Hearing aids, draw near. You're doing that this morning. You've drawn near. You're coming here, but are you listening? When you open your Bible, you're at home. You draw near. Are you listening? When you're going on a walk just to be with God, dwelling in his presence, are you listening? Draw near and listen. Spend time in silence and solitude, just listening. After you've read a passage you've read a hundred times before, God's word is living and active. Jesus, what are you saying to me? Draw near, listen, ask questions. And listen. Just those simple steps is like the lid on the licorice, keeping your heart soft. Because get this, he delights in you and the psalmist tells us that his thoughts about you outnumber the grains of sand on a beach. You ever tried to count grains of sand? There's a lot. That's his thoughts about you. He's got things to say to you. In fact, would you just bow your head, close your eyes. Spend some time reflecting on what you've heard today. Draw near in the spirit, and would you just ask this question, Jesus, what are you saying to me today?